Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today our passage is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. This is Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it. And we'll talk about it a little bit. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and you were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There are several sayings like this in chapter 17, and, and, and I mean, 16 and 17, really. 16 has, is in kind of the co- more context of a, a narrative, of course. Uh, you have parables there, too, that he's, he's saying. But you get into chapter 17, and uh, Jesus kind of goes into several different sayings. Um, he's going to... Um, use illustrations and, and, and all sorts of things, but really what you might could categorize everything that's going on in chapter 17 is doing life together as Christians, um, the way that we could read this now. Bonhoeffer has a really good book, um, Life Together, and in it he talks about discipleship and he puts it in the context of him and his seminary and in the way that they they grew with one another and there's a lot of really cool individual ideas within that book but but one that kind of summarizes the entire book for me when I think about it is this idea of I guess maybe just because we are Americans and because we are very individualistic we we have a hard time with community we desire it we definitely desire it but we're we're not good at it most of the time because we are very we are we're very sacred with our time you know we need me time I need I time where I'm not with people and you definitely get examples of that especially from Christ you know that he would go alone but that was specifically for the purpose of of strengthening himself spiritually, not necessarily going on vacations and not, you know, doing things that we use with our me time where we go on shopping sprees or we get us get ourselves something nice, you know. That's not what Jesus's me time looked like. Jesus's me time was more like he's going to go to seclude himself that, so that he can better pour into other people. I wish I was better at that. I wish people in the church were better at better than that better at that but this is kind of the context that jesus is speaking in all these sayings in chapter 17 is the challenges and responsibilities that arise for christians as they do life together what is this really going to look like and really from this these four verses and in the continuing illustrations you get in chapter 17 is it's jesus warning christian communities that Christian communities will be flawed. They're going to be flawed gatherings. It's not you come together in, in perfect harmony. 
anyone that's been part of a church understands this. Um, and, and that's why I think community gatherings outside of a church context tend to be easier for us and tend to run more smoothly because there's not that standard of living and there's not that standard of responsibility to one another. That may be why we're so, why I have seen families and have experienced it too. Families become really tied together around a sport or, you know, maybe your kids participate in a sport and you're really, you're really connected as families with that sport. But you also have to realize that within that community, there is really no standard for living. You all leave the sporting event. You can all go do your own thing. You could even come back next week and you could talk about those things that you did that were um, maybe bad. You know, you can talk about your uh, hatred of somebody. You can gossip about people because there's no real standard of living in that type of community. When you move over to the Christian community, there is a standard of living. There is a sense of responsibility we have for one another, holding one another accountable, encouraging one another, not being self-centered. And that's what really complicates a Christian community. And what complicates it even further is that with that standard of living, what we're supposed to be, we're constantly reminded of how we're not that. We compare ourselves with other people. And all of that, all that sinful kind of mindset and uh, negativity and pessimism and guilt comes into the Christ community. And so it's flawed. It's not what we know it could be and what we know it should be. And that's what makes community with believers really difficult. So believers have to understand this. You and I have to understand this, is we cannot be under the illusion that the true church is a perfect church. I hope that, that that catches you. You realize what we're saying here. The true church, who Jesus has called, will not be a perfect church. You see this in church life now. Um, if you keep up with other denominational trends and conversations, uh, you know you know the SBC is going through a lot right now, as far as um, sexual abuse survivors coming forward. Uh, different committees denying what's going on, not to be too specific there. Um, there is a, a lot of ugliness in the in the church community. That doesn't negate that it's not the true church. It doesn't negate the fact that those are people Christ has called to be his, his body, his bride. It doesn't negate any of that just because they're not perfect in the way that they're living out, that they're actually flawed, that they're actually doing evil at times, doesn't negate who they're called to be. This should also ring true for us when we're, um, you know, moving to a new state, moving into a new community where we've got to find a new group of believers to worship with. Uh, You're not going to find the perfect church. Not finding the perfect church will actually cause you to jump from fellowship to fellowship with an increasing disillusionment. Ah, they don't do this right. I guess i got to go try another place. Oh, this is not the worship style like. I'm going to go try somewhere else. Oh, I don't really like how they participate in this or don't participate in this. I'm going to go find other people who will. 
that's not really what Christ's community is supposed to be like. Christ's community comes in, and if you if you see uh, the church failing in an area, you seek to reconcile that. You, I mean, you seek to repair that. You you be what's missing, kind of thing. You um, be the change you want to see in your church. You bring that to your Christ community. You don't jump from fellowship to fellowship trying to to find the the perfect combination of all the things you're looking for. One of Jesus' big points here is that the Christ community will be a flawed community. That doesn't mean it's the false community. There is the phrase here in verse 1, temptations are sure to come. Temptation, the Greek word is skandala. It's the word that um, has kind of come into our English as the word scandal. Um, that's not the best way to use the Greek word. Scandal's not quite right. It needs to be temptation. It needs to be offense or a cause of sin. But maybe we can take that idea, scandal. It's impossible for scandals not to come. Maybe that's the way that we could read Jesus' words here. Temptations to sin are sure to come. Maybe we could read it as it's impossible for scandals not to come. It's going to be impossible for bad things not to come in, for sin to come into your community. The New Testament never at one point in Paul's writings, John's writings specifically, I'll, I'll mention those verses here in a second. The New Testament does not expect Christians to eradicate evil from the world. Temptation sure to come. But it admonishes, the New Testament as a whole admonishes, just as Jesus does here, not to be a cause of that sin, not to be a cause of that evil. Do not bring evil to other people. Do not set it at their doorstep. Do not be that cause of offense, that stone that causes people to stumble. Romans 14, 13. 1 Corinthians 8, 13. 1 John 2, 10. All warn us, don't be the reason you're causing other people to sin. And the scandal here. Uh, the scandal warned against, the temptation warned against, it's a two-edged sword. Because disciples can, you and I, can alienate others by causing them to sin. But they can also be, we can be alienated uh, when others sin against us. See, we're, we're, we can also be the, the little ones, Jesus mentions in verse 2. We can be the little ones that are pushed to sin. We need to be cautious of that as well as being cautious of being the ones who cause others to sin that's kind of the whole context of romans 14 we can be both the weak christian and the strong christian sometimes in the same instance sometimes in the same circumstance in the same conversation being in a christ community requires us to come into it knowing uh, i have power in my words and in my actions i can really hurt people I can really push people away from Christ in the way that I conduct myself. We have to be aware of those those kind of things. We are the little ones also. We need to be cautious of what people are doing and saying, okay, this might just be this person doing this and they're not doing it to hurt me and they're not doing this to push me away. This is who they are. This is their struggle. This is their spiritual immaturity showing and I will be gracious. I will be kind as they work through those things. 
We are weak in faith. We are easily led astray. We are sheep. So we are held responsible for leading others away. We need to be aware of that. We need to know, we need to understand our, our context, our culture, what other Christians' weaknesses are. All this has to come out in our conversations, otherwise we don't know it, right? We need to be having good, deep conversations with our brothers and sisters, knowing how we can protect them, knowing how we can serve them, knowing how we can not cause, not be that cause of stumbling, that cause of offense. Man, a lot of good things here. And Jesus ends this, ends this four-verse pericope by uh, repeating this this phrase about forgiveness that he's he's mentioned earlier uh, in his um, talk on prayer within the book of Luke. But it's it's about how many times you got to forgive somebody. And, and man, if that person is an is a Christian who is attempting to be a Christian while they may struggle, while they may fall over and over again, our forgiveness never stops. That that should be the easiest thing. Temptation should actually be really difficult for us to fall into, really difficult for us to bring to other people, and forgiveness should be the easiest thing, the quickest thing we go to. Man, when in doubt, forgive. When you, when you don't know really what's going on, forgive. When you do understand what's going on, maybe you fully understand that person's intention, you forgive. As long as they're willing to come forward and repent. And that's maybe the big issue here, is, is a lot of people really hang on this, if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's probably definitely there. If the person truly does repent, you have to forgive them. But I wonder if that linchpin is as strong as people say. Does that person really have to repent for me to forgive them? Because that's not the context when Jesus brings up prayer earlier. It's that if you want to be forgiven, you will forgive. Repentance or not. If you want forgiveness, you must forgive. Man, so many good things on discipleship in the book of Luke. Blows my mind every time we get into it. I hope this section of scripture has been beneficial to you today. hope you're going to think on it, pray on it, and know that these words are, are from our Lord and Savior. I uh, pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbors in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.